0: Whenever I talk to them and hear their stories and know my grandpa's closeness to those guys and the music they made, it's almost like I inherited extra grandpas. It's such a great feeling.
1: Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Barry. This podcast is for grandparents on the go with their grandchildren and for parents who want to ensure loving relationships across the generations. I welcome your input and your feedback on every episode of the podcast we produce, please send me an email at carolyn at or connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at grammyadventure. Please follow or subscribe to my podcast. It's free so you won't miss an episode and ask your family and friends to do the same. You can subscribe to the monthly newsletter by visiting my website, adventureswithgrammy.com and clicking the newsletter signup link. Hark back to the era of the big band jazz and swing music, and the names Glenn Miller, Vaughn Monroe, Dizzy Gillespie, Tommy Dorsey, Artie Shaw, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, and Louis Armstrong come to mind. Lost among those sounds are the World War II bands that went to war. Many of those 500 military bands accompanied combat units and performed concerts close to the front lines the 746th Far East Army Air Force Band, performed in the Philippines. After Japan surrendered and the soldiers were preparing to head home, they had the opportunity to record in their tent in the jungles outside of Manila an afternoon performance of original arrangements of popular jazz tunes, thus creating the only known album by a frontline band unit. Our guest today is historian Jason Burt, grandson of Corporal Richard Burt, the band's lead trumpeter. The younger Burt has worked with Grammy-winning sound engineers to remaster and digitize the band's 1945 performance. His goal is to honor all who served in World War II as he strives to secure a Best Historical Album Grammy in 2022. It is my honor to welcome Jason Burt to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. Start by telling our listeners what your project is and why this is so important to you.
0: And I'm a historian and middle school history teacher over in Sacramento, California area. My project that I've been working on for a little over a year now is... A World War, a rare World War II recording of a frontline band unit that recorded an album essentially of popular big band songs in 1945 outside of Manila in their tent. This project is important to me because the lead trumpet player and the man who brought those recordings home happened to be my grandpa, Corporal Richard Burt of the U.S. Army Air Force.
1: When did you know that these recordings exist?
0: Our whole lives. Uh, we kind of knew that these existed. My family, my my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, uh, my siblings, we all kind of knew these existed. The last time that he pulled them out would have been when I was really little, like 1986. In 1986, he recorded an oral history of his time with the military and being a musician in the military and about the band. And he even mentions... Uh, how these recordings were made on that that oral history, which is also on the the album. So we knew about him, and in those early recordings in eighty in nineteen eighty six, he had put uh, two songs just to pass along for his own posterity. I guess you could say for us to have and listen to as we got older and to know about his time in the military. He put Moonlight in Vermont and Trumpet Rhapsody on there because he was the he's the lead trumpet player, so he was the featured soloist. I guess that's why he picked those two. He tucked them away in nineteen eighty six and, and never brought them out again. But we knew they existed. And I guess they had faded away from his memory as he got a little bit older. I think I was about 18 or 19. He had made a CD and gave it to me. And I got to listen to those recordings for the first time. I can remember when of being about 20 years old and I had to play it in my car going down the road and I actually had to pull over because the sounds he was making out of his trumpet were just so extraordinary just to hear him like that. I had heard him playing the trumpet my whole life growing up. It just becomes background noise. As a kid, that's all oh, that's grandpa playing his trumpet. But he was much older when I was younger, listening to him play down the hall. It was just something else to, to hear him sound young and have a young set of lungs while he was playing in this Army Air Force band. And at the time, I was a, a World War II buff uh, just out of high school. So uh, an incredible trumpet player. The, uh, the recordings were pretty much ex- in existence and we knew about him and they just weren't something that he brought out. And then he passed away in 2016, my grandma in 2019. So in 2019, we cleaned up the house and came across the records. And it was pretty much at the the start of COVID and things starting to, to shut down and having spare time from school. I had to figure out what we were going to do with these records it was pretty much the, the start of this whole thing.
1: Define this whole thing. What is your project now?
0: It's kind of evolved. So it started off as I had these records and they're sitting in my closet. I found myself with time, but not a phonograph or a record player to play them. And I have a, a coworker who's kind of a vinyl junkie, and uh, he had given me his record player to test them. To see if they even work. One day during COVID, uh, my twins went off to uh, somewhere with my wife and I kind of sat down and put the records on just to see if they worked. And they worked and they sounded pretty amazing for being 75-year-old records that were made in, uh, in, in the jungle of the Philippines. And so uh, I set off to research how rare it was and whether this was a pretty commonplace item to have from, from the war. And I contacted the World War II Museum in New Orleans and other historians and other music jazz Uh, music experts. And pretty much everyone came back with, no, I've never heard of anything like this in existence. That kind of got the ball rolling in my head to, well, what if we could do something for these guys? I mean, my grandpa, he was a music teacher his whole life, but he was extraordinarily talented. And he kind of gave up. He had a crossroads in his life after his time at Juilliard to where uh, he started having a family and he was with the Des Moines Symphony Orchestra and he came into this kind of like, well, if I go the professional route, will I have much time with my family? And he had this choice to make. And so he chose his family. And a lot of the guys in the band were like that. I've, I've researched and met up with a lot of family members. They, they weren't professional musicians after the war, but music was a part of their life. That's what they did, whether they became music shop owners or or music teachers or anything. Very few of them went professional. This was always something I could do for them to try and give them that professional musician experience and draw attention to their role in the war. Because you never hear much about the military bands and what their role was in World War II. So I kind of wanted to shed light on that.
1: Are any of the band members still living?
0: Oh, no. So, so far I haven't come across any known members that were living I was very close when I started this project. Uh, I was researching some of the band members and going through Ancestry.com and and just typing in different things in Google searches. And there was one that passed away in 2019. I think I missed him by like four months. just been talking with family members of past band members that I know about and and getting their stories through them.
1: That's an incredible project. It must make you feel really good to honor your granddad like this?
0: It's pretty amazing. I, I love doing this for him. Me and my grandpa were really close. Uh, growing up, I, I call us polar opposites because every, everyone in my family was very musical growing up and they could, they were at least forced to start an instrument and at least read music. I'm kind of the black sheep of the family. I Everyone assumed I was okay with my basketball on the basketball court. I, I never picked up an instrument. I never read any music. I can't read music to this day. So grandpa and I were always really close because uh, we lived down the street from each other, and he, I loved his stories, and uh, we are both big on history, and I loved hearing his World War II stories. Uh, we were incredibly close for not having similar interests other than history. I was never going to be able to do anything musically to move his legacy forward. In, in my own right, doing something like this for him, that's, that's history's in my wheelhouse. So that was something that I could do for him musically to kind of push his legacy forward.
1: You posted a picture of your grandfather playing his trumpet outside of the camp. Tell us about that.
0: They were at a camp called Fort McKinley. It was outside of Manila. This was after they, they started out on Leyte, but they they eventually ended up in Manila when they moved over to Luzon. And so this was the, the Far East Air Force headquarters they were at. So it was a relatively big camp. Uh, but it's still in the jungles. Grandpa knew that he wanted to be a musician after the war. He knew music was his whole life with what he was good at, and that's that's how he was going to make his living. While other guys played games, poker during their downtime after practice, grandpa would play his trumpet and practice even more, not to disturb any of the, uh, the workers or any of the night workers. Sometimes he'd do it at night. He'd uh, take his horn and go down this trail and into the literal jungle outside of uh, the the camp, which was probably not the best idea. But I guess when you're 19 or 20, you you kind of think you're invincible, even in a war. He'd wander out into uh, the jungle and play his trumpet. I think he practiced three hours a day on top of what the the band already practiced together just to get his extra practice in because he knew that's what he wanted to do with his life after the war.
1: Pretty amazing, because when I saw the picture and the caption, my first thought was, wasn't he afraid of getting captured or getting hurt?
0: Yeah, you know, he mentions that in, in his, uh, he tells a portion of that story in, in the oral history track on the actual CD, and he mentions as a 60, whatever he is, 62, when he does that in 1984, I think, 86, you know, every time he went into the jungle, he was scared and he has this one encounter where he goes into the jungle and he starts playing and he hears this noise, this loud noise. In a bush nearby and his hand immediately goes for the marine knife he had a marine knife with him and he felt like his heart was going to jump out of his chest because he thought oh here we go something's going to happen and this beautiful bird just flies out of the bush that's indigenous to the philippines and and he breathed a sigh of relief and so looking back he was terrified he said he says he was terrified going there which couldn't blame him that's it's especially in the Pacific, the way the war was fought there. You didn't know what was going to happen where. So I'm surprised he went out there. But yeah, when you're 19 or 20, I guess you think the odds are in your favor.
1: Can you share other stories that your grandfather shared on his oral history or, or told you?
0: Yeah, actually, my favorite story is uh, before he joins this band to go out in the Pacific. I actually shared this was the story I shared at his uh, funeral when I did his eulogy. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories because it just kind of describes... Uh, the kind of person my grandpa was. He had gone into the Army Air Force over in Utah. He signed up in Salt Lake City, was shipped over for basic training, and was pulled into the band there by a buddy and got sent to Southern California to March Field. Everywhere my grandpa went, he was the lead trumpet player when he was high school age, as a kid, and uh, even into uh, the first year of university before Pearl Harbor. He was used to being lead trumpet. And he gets down to March Field. March Field is where all the big band musicians are and all the Hollywood recording musicians are that have joined the military. Those guys are all in Southern California and all seasoned and talented musicians. And so my grandpa arrives down there and he's not first chair anymore. He's not second chair anymore. He's more like third and fourth. He's at March Field learning from these professional musicians for a year. And he's soaking up all this information from them and learning from them and increasing his playing range. And after a year, a call came in to March Field, the band headquarters for a trumpet player for a newly formed band to go off to the Pacific. But it was for a trumpet player with a sergeant's rating. My grandpa was a private at the time. He says in his uh, oral history that all the sergeants in his unit were married. He walked over to their, the chief warrant officer's office and asked if he could take the place of the married man so the married man could stay behind with his family. He says the warrant officer uh, became a little emotional and choked up a little bit and said, yes, if that could be done, if that's your will, we can, we can work that out for you. And so that's how my grandpa ends up in the Pacific. He goes to uh, take the place of somebody so they could stay behind for their family. That's just the kind of person he was. And that's kind of my favorite story about him in the military.
1: That's really sweet. That really talks to his decision as well about not playing in a symphony, but opting to become a music teacher to stay with a family.
0: Yeah, very much so. He's, he was a very family oriented guy. That was, I mean, even more than music. Music was his whole life, but his family was even more so. And, and so that's, he's, that's kind of been his, his thing his whole life and decisions his whole life are based around that. And yeah, he was just probably the best person I've ever met in my life. It's my grandpa.
1: So how many children and grandchildren did he have?
0: My grandpa has four sons. My dad is son number three. He's got 14 grandchildren, I want to say great grandchildren while he was alive he had four but he's got more now so he did get some great grandchildren back end of his life
1: (laughs) what a nice legacy are there other stories yeah that you would like to share with with us about your granddad
0: as far as in the military that whole band story is pretty fascinating uh especially if you don't know things about how military band people think of military bands during world war ii and the, the main people that come to mind are the uh the glenn millers of the world those guys who joined the military and who played really 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 big shows back away from the action like in london or or in paris but uh there, there's quite a few bands that were just filled with really talented guys that were just everyday guys back then and they would play shows as close as up on the front line for guys who were doing the actual fighting one of the first shows they did was on late they arrived on Leyte in the Philippines when the, the action was still going on. They had not rehearsed yet as a band, but they they just got organized in the on the West Coast, shipped overseas. And so the, one of the first shows they play is with a USO group. He describes them setting up a, a makeshift stage, hanging lights on blown up palm trees. And so this is the this is the literal front. Their first show is going to be on. I show up as a musician and your staff is holding uh or hanging lights from a blown-up palm tree, you can... I mean, you gotta get nervous, I would think. Their first show they're playing together is with the USO Group doing an old show. With, I think it's a Broadway show, if I remember right. And it was made into a movie called Hell's a Pop. And so that's the first show they're doing. They're in the middle of the show, and fighting breaks off directly behind the stage across the ravine. There's machine gun fire. And the first real into entertaining the troops ends up being this frontline show they end up finishing the show it just speaks to the composure that these guys had and the real professionalism they had as service members and and dedication to what their role was in the war all those guys the, the best part of the war for my grandpa was being able to play music and Give those guys on the front line who were doing the actual fighting a little respite and a little break mentally and give them a taste of home while they were thousands of miles away from home. And he lived for that. That was that was the best part of the warframe was playing music for others. That story really sticks out to me with them. But uh, all those guys in that band, they, they did such incredible music. You know, if you listen to the album, it's just astonishing to think of how they recorded it in the middle of in the middle of a war at a tent.
1: How did they record it?
0: So they're a frontline show and people think about uh, Glenn Miller. Well, Glenn Miller had plenty of recording access or around him because he's Glenn Miller. And so there's recordings of Glenn Miller and his band and because they were back from the front lines and they could play in a studio if they wanted to or, or broadcast on the radio. But these guys are in a jungle in the middle of nowhere and play for guys who were on the front lines, sometimes on the front lines. So equipment is definitely an issue. And While I researched this, this is kind of how I discovered it's such a rare thing because these aren't big name guys and they don't have the equipment. They basically have their instruments and microphones, and on Leyte, they were just uh, doing shows like that on the front lines. By the time they get to Manila and Fort McKinley, they're at the uh, the Far East headquarters, the Far East Air Force headquarters, which is it's a big deal. There's there's generals there, there's guys who rub elbows with MacArthur there, and so it's kind of a big deal where they are. At one point, before they're coming home. A special services unit comes through who happened to have a wire recorder. It was decided by the chief warrant officer that they, in the band, that they wanted to record themselves. Before they go home, just for fun, just because they enjoyed playing with each other and they'd been through so much. They talked to these two guys in the special service unit. That they say, "Yeah, go ahead and use the uh, the wire recorder." And so they set this thing up. And my grandpa has this story written down in the, the sleeve that holds these records about the equipment they used and some of the reasons. I think it sounds pretty good for what they had. But some of the some of the reasons it might not sound as as high quality as if you were in a studio. Like the the microphone they had was made only for a a, a singer, and so it's picking up all the sound of all the instruments and he writes that it's 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 too much for that microphone well you can still make out all the sounds the way they worked is they set this microphone up on the uh, the post inside their performance tent and the wire recorder ran from the microphone Across the compound to another tent where these uh, special service guys had their wire recorder and hit record. They just played and it was just a, an afternoon session and they played some of their typical songs that they, some of the band members arranged. Uh, they're all popular big band songs, but they're special arraign- arrangements done by guys in the band. So it's their version of these songs. They played and there was Filipinos there. The flaps were up and it was just a casual thing that they did. Uh, you can even tell on some of the, the tracks. On so after Trumpet Rhapsody on the track, it moves on to this song Perdido. In between, I don't know if there's a false start. I wish I could make the words out better, but you can hear them in the background talking. The, the music stops and you can hear the chief warrant officer, who's the conductor. You can hear him talking and giving instruction and the band picks up again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty neat.
1: Now, I know you did some work with the recording industry, the firm that operates the Grammys. Tell us about that.
0: The sound engineers that I worked with, the original one, the guy who did some of the, a lot of the transfer work. Uh, he moved them from the records that they're on and digitalized them. He's down in Southern California and he works for Lurson and Mastering and he's he's won a Grammy himself. I think he is, his is a Latin Grammy. He's worked with a lot of big name people and Lurson Mastering has worked with big name musicians and they've even done big time movies and done the sound editing for movies that have won Oscars and been nominated for different things. So there's him and then there's a sound engineer in New York who I linked up with doing another podcast, a jazz podcast, and uh, he kind of fine tuned a lot of the after. Effects, so like all trying to get rid of the noise and get the sound of the instruments to be louder than the the vinyl pops and hisses, and it still sounds very vintage. But he did an amazing job. Just when you hear the records, the original recordings on the records versus what he turned it into, this it sounds amazing what he did. And so I've worked with guys who have won Grammys and been nominated for Grammys for their sound engineering skills. I mentioned earlier this started off kind of this way to honor these guys, and the original goal was to just get an album out and try and get it on the shelf of the the. National National World War II Museum uh, at some point. But it, somewhere along the way, it all kind of evolved as I started to talk to different musicians and start to talk to different jazz podcasts and go, well, this is something that's really really kind of special. you don't hear this kind of thing this would be something we could see winning a best historical album Grammy and so the more I heard this I thought well if these guys are saying it must be true well maybe it is and so I started looking into best historical album Grammy and what goes into that and all of a sudden this project went on this trajectory of well how great would it be to give these guys this pre- professional music experience but not only that be able to earn uh, an award that is reserved for those at the top of their their musicianship and win a, a Grammy for World War II essentially. And so that's, it eventually just tweaked into that and trying to win these guys a Grammy. These uh really, really great musicians who were in the middle of World War II.
1: I have goosebumps listening to your story. Where is that process now?
0: So the process now is we hit this weird area. So and this, is, this will actually be the first time I'm mentioning this. We haven't, I haven't announced it yet. The album was released technically on November 11th of 2020. That's when it had its digital release. And that's when it had its release on all the streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. It got released then. Then a number of media things since then have been on national news since then. The, the streaming numbers are extremely high for a historical album. I, I think the album on Spotify gets about 22,000-ish monthly listeners, which is incredible. We're at the point where you start putting in your applications. And recently, I finished the, uh, the actual CDs and the liner notes and linked up with historians. I have a lot of different historians that have helped me write the liner notes for the actual physical CDs when people buy the CDs. One of the things that comes along with the CDs is a uh, a DVD because I have, my grandpa has World War II film that he brought home of the band practicing their instruments. And my grandpa doing that and all that out in the Pacific. So it's a multi-disc release. You get a DVD of the band, you get uh, this vintage CD of historic recordings, and you get about 20 pages of uh, liner notes from different historians that are kind of commenting on all the different things from my grandpa's oral history in a broader sense. So you get all these things. And so the album artwork was done and that process of getting the CDs out Finished up in November of 2020, I hastily put together this. Was before I even before the Grammy was even a, a thought. I hastily put together this album cover on the original, which was okay, but it was me, it wasn't a professional thing. It was just to get it out for the album because you need an album cover, just a cover for the uh, the digital release, thinking I would be able to go back once I get a professional to do the album cover. The album, the new album cover is finished, and I went over to uh, the distributor and I thought I assumed it would be something really basic. Hey, can you can you are you able to pull that? Old album cover off and just put this one on because this one looks way better and this is the one I like. And they said, well, we'd have to cancel your previous album and take it down and, and then we'd put it up. Or you can just release, have a new release date with this album. And a deal was made recently with the World War II Museum and they're going to do a test run with the album and the World War, the national one over in New Orleans. It's on hold right now because of the hurricane down there. So I, I'm, we're going to be in contact in, in about 30 days. I'm thinking we could get have better odds and more more of a chance with this new release so there's going to be a new release date of this year with the album with the new release and with the the recordings and with the cd there will be a new official release date of, I think I have it for October for when the Philippines campaign started. That'll be the new release date. And then our Grammy will try and build more momentum and give us a better shot at getting these guys a Grammys. I will no longer be this awards show that we're applying for; it's the next one. But that's still very much the goal.
1: Oh, that's incredible. That is so exciting for you and for your family. Yeah. and the families of all of the mus- musicians Now, are they aware of what you're doing they are the
0: ones i've contacted and been in contact with some of them follow the the band's uh, social media on facebook and they're they're all very excited and they love to hear that and i i keep in close contact with them because not only because i want them to know about it but uh, at some point i need to dig more into the story of those guys because eventually I'll be writing a book on all of the, on my grandpa's journey through this and all the other guys in the band when they link up in the Philippines. And so I'll be interviewing all of them for stories and for pictures. And yeah, it's just been a joy to talk about all that stuff with them and, and hear all the stories of my grandpa's wartime buddies. And it's, it's almost as if whenever I talk to them and hear their stories and know my grandpa's closeness to those guys and the music they made, it's almost like I'm hearing, it's almost like I inherited extra grandpas. It's such a great feeling to talk to them about that stuff.
1: (laughs) What a neat thought. And I would think it would make you feel closer to your grandpa to hear their opinion of him and their interactions with him and how much they admired and liked him.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. And actually, so one of the guys who did a lot of the musical arrangements is a was probably his best friend in the group. His name was Joe Molasso, And Joe Molasso passed away in the 80s in New York. And I tracked down Joe Molasso's sister, who's in her 70s. I can't wait to chat with her and listen to uh, stories about the guy my grandpa would say was probably his best friend in the group, Joe Molasso. So it's pretty exciting. And there's also, I'm working on a manuscript for a, I'd say probably like a 30-page book for a publisher. And we're hoping a, a book come out along the way to give it even more of a boost and more eyeballs on it so we can possibly have a better turnout. I'm hoping for at least a nomination for these guys. I would hope so. It's such a historic thing that to even have the more I dig into it. So I'm hoping that at minimum we can at least get a nomination for these guys, which would be such an honor.
1: How many brothers and sisters do you have?
0: I have another brother who's maybe about 13 months older than me. And then I've got two younger sisters, one of whom is a whiz on the piano and actually is the accompaniment at a local high school for a uh, the, the choir class and the, the music class.
1: What are their reactions to your project?
0: You know, all of my cousins and my aunts and uncles, they love this for... Uh, number of reasons. They know how close me and grandpa are. They all adore him for the same reasons I do. And and it's just, it brings a smile to all their faces and an excitement too, to see people talk about grandpa and his music. And they'll email me and text me when they see something or hear a podcast to say it brightens their day. And they they all love it. And they're happy that grandpa's music is getting out there.
1: Is your dad still living?
0: My dad's still around. He's a big fan of the project and he's me And, and uh, I ask him things about grandpa's, really all my, my dad and my uncles, I'll ask them things. If I don't know something about a, a port or a, something's fuzzy about a grandpa's story, I'll go ask them or I'll ask my, I have an uncle who's just retired as a music teacher. I'll ask him specifics about grandpa's musical styles or, or his, what his trumpet was. And
1: Where can we buy the original CD you released?
0: Those, so those CDs will be available probably in October, late to mid-October. Pretty much anywhere, the distributor gives them to all these music places, uh, like Tower Records Online and Barnes & Noble. So eventually in October, you'll be able to see them there. The World War II Museum, in new orleans they will have it in their online store they're going to do a test run and see how people like it i i'm hoping people like it so it'll get picked up there for even more and and more people can see it because that's i feel like uh historians and people who love world war ii that's that's the place you want it to be because that's that's where the most eyeballs are going to see it and, and and listen to it and enjoy it and hear about these guys so hopefully when the uh the hurricane stuff wraps up and people are safe to go back to their lives down there in New Orleans. Uh, We'll have it for sale down there in their online store in New Orleans too.
1: I wanna get one of the CDs from my mom. She really enjoys reading and learning more about World War II because she was a little girl when this happened and her two older brothers served in the war anything about world war ii she just really soaks up
0: oh she will love it so the 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 liner notes i'll tell you how the liner notes the how the formation of that came about thinking about how to do it and what i wanted to do and i started thinking about the oral history track on the album my grandpa created it's about a half hour long and uh, it's essentially a chronological story his story, a chronological story. What I did was for the liner notes, I wanted to turn that into a small book. On each page of the, the liner notes, there's a quote that helps tell the story from my grandpa. So there will be a quote about something. It helps tell that story of the 746 that my grandpa. And then below that, there's either a historian or a military musician. There's there's quite a few military musicians and historians on, on here too that kind of expand in the broader sense of what my grandpa's talking about. And there's also some World War II black and white artwork that kind of goes along with each photo. You really get this story of the band on one page, on, on half the page. And below that, you get the uh, the broader context of the whole war on the bottom of the page, but there's people on there who are John Lucas. Uh, he wrote the book. He's the the general go-to guy for uh, William E. Dias, who's a, a guy my grandpa played taps for, but he's a, a World War II pilot hero and my grandpa played Taps from in Southern California. He's written something on Dias and my grandpa, all sorts of di- different historians who have just commented. I'm, I was I was surprised at how many people that I contacted. I was like, oh, that guy's never going to get back to me. But I contacted them. Hey, here's my project. Here's what I'm looking for. It was something you'd be interested in doing. And not one person told me, no, I don't want to do that. They, they were all really excited and wrote a lot of really good stuff on there. And historians and people who grew up in that era will love it. I guarantee it.
1: Oh, I don't doubt it. I I love history and I enjoy seeing the pictures that you post on Twitter and it is it's just really cool to be able to to see history and to know well the fact that I know you and know why you're doing that makes it special for me but I think for anyone who is interested in world war ii history it's especially moving thank
0: you i appreciate that
1: where can listeners find you on the internet
0: so on the internet you can find if you were on twitter you can find all of those world war ii daily things that i post you were just talking about on the handle at 746 f-e-a-f band or there's also at jason underscore r underscore burt b-u-r-t uh that's kind of a little bit of both so on my personal one i post things about what's going on with the album kind of more of like the business side of things i'll post some history stuff on there too the band account you'll find all the world war ii stuff and, and i add stuff on there i make posts about different spotify playlists that pick up the songs from the album so you can see all the new songs or all the new playlists that these world war ii vets are hopping on in 2021 on instagram you can find the band at seven forty six underscore a a f band, and on Facebook it's pretty much the same thing seven forty six f e a f band.
1: And do you have a website?
0: I do. The website is pretty much the same thing. It's 746 746th h seven forty six f e a f dot com. And on the the band website, you can buy the full version of the CD minus. So what comes with the CD minus the liner notes. So if you go to the band website and you just like digital downloads, uh, it'll send you the entirety of the album as well as the uh, digitized World War II video of the band out in the Pacific which is, I think it's about nine minutes worth of film. It's a, it's a pretty good chunk. And you can see kind of them practicing their instruments and playing around with each other, horsing around with each other. And band had uh, pet monkeys at one point. You can see my grandpa's monkey, <laughs> Cheech. It's, it's pretty entertaining. A lot of people love the the World War II film. It just puts a face with these guys and you get to see them enjoying each other's company and just, just kind of how you think war buddies would act while they're out there in their downtime.
1: We're almost at the end of our interview. What haven't we talked about that you want listeners to know about your grandfather, about the band, about his band members or your, your project, just anything, what would you like for them to know?
0: I think the main, the main takeaway would be that, you know, this is, something I'm doing for these guys to try and get them out there and give give them that professional experience so that people know what they did during the war they were around fighting they were not doing the fighting although in the video you can see my grandpa playing around with his trumpet in his uh, time these were guys who who lived for entertaining the troops and giving them that peace of mind that you know one day you're gonna go home and just give them that little piece of home and so it's, it's really I'm just trying to pass on their story the the thing about the project that's also we haven't mentioned yet is uh, I've have a contract. I partnered with the USO. This band played shows in the Pacific with the USO. One of the first shows I mentioned was on the front line with the USO group. From the start, I wanted to uh, have some kind of connection with the USO and, and raise money for them. And so I have a contract with the USO and a portion of every one of the sales goes to the USO to kind of maintain today the legacy of what these guys were doing and trying to give people, soldiers and airmen and Marines a a taste of home while they're not at home, while they're overseas, keeping us safe from harm. And so that's what the USO does today. My whole goal is to help them keep doing that and kind of keep this band's legacy going with that uh, donation of part of their album, all the sales. I think that that's pretty much the the, the gist of what this project is, is honoring these guys in a way uh, you would want to honor World War II veterans.
1: That's fabulous. One last question. What, what do your students say about this? What kind of support and reactions do they have?
0: Uh, when they hear about it, they usually have this astonished look on their face. Like today, I told them that, that I was going to be recording a podcast. Oh, when does it come out? When does it come out? They get all excited about that kind of stuff. And they hear the Grammy talk and they think that's really exciting. It really brings history to life when you can do stuff like this and bring it in the classroom, they, they get really excited about that. And it makes learning more fun. It makes it easier for me to teach too, because they're so excited about different things and they'll ask me this and that. I can remember the first time I posted a podcast or I told them that I was going to be on a podcast. Uh, they asked if I was uh, if I was famous, which kind of made me chuckle. It's pretty entertaining for them. They, they love to hear about uh, the accolades and and just the being able to go on different media things. They kind of think that's really cool. And it's, it's pretty fun to tell them about and really kind of interjected into our history lessons. And I actually have a, an assignment that I give them every semester because I have, I have seventh graders every year. So I get a new batch of students. I have an extra credit assignment with the album. So if they stream the album and they write an album review, they can get up to 20 points extra credit. So I think they like that aspect of it too.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Extra credit's always good. Yeah. Can't go wrong with extra credit. <laughs>
1: Jason, as we wrap up our interview, would you give me permission to play one of your granddad's songs?
0: Absolutely. So I will share with you probably the most popular song on the album, at least from a Spotify standpoint. This song really kind of gets to me because there's there's a couple songs on here that have vocals. The band had a vocalist, a guy who sings on some, some songs. He has the most nostalgic voice you'd ever heard in your life. I kick myself just about every time I hear it. For not asking my grandpa hey who's the the singer of the group because to this day i don't know who the singer is i i vowed that i will track down who <laughs> whose voice this is. He's got such an incredible voice.
1: As more people learn about this project, I'm sure his identity will come out.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my hope is that you get more eyeballs and eventually some family member goes, hey, that's is that that group that grandpa was in? And hopefully eventually one of them is this a relative of the, uh, the lead singer. So this is uh, If You Are But A Dream by the 746th Far East Air Force Band. The vocalist is unknown. So if you know him, feel free to email me at some point. But here it is, If You Are But A Dream.
1: My dreams come true. I want to kiss you, but I would not dare. I'm so afraid that you may vanish in the end. Oh, darling, if I. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at Grammy.com.